0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Connecting the Dots podcast. I'm H.F. Mason. I'm a general surgeon and chief medical officer at Baptist Memorial Hospital, DeSoto. And
1: hi, everyone. I'm Jake Lancaster. I'm an internal medicine physician and the chief medical information officer for the Baptist
0: system. Well, today we are so excited to have Cheryl Jekyll with us. She is the founder and CEO of the Lean Leadership Center. Mm -hmm. Cheryl, why don't you take a few moments to uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, tell us what you do, and tell us about the Lean Leadership Center.
2: Thank you. Um, So a bit about me is I'm a bit of an odd duck. I have spent most of my career uh, both in the area of HR, but not only that. I've done operations and some other things. But also in my mid-20s, I came across the topic of lean, or at the time it was called TQM. And I just became completely infatuated with the whole area of continuous improvement and lean, and so my entire work has always been the blending of those two areas. what is the role of h r in um, enabling advancing, strengthening continuous improvement, which has really mostly always been about how people um how we access their talents that's really what it means to me. How he said I would have never devoted my life to efficiency <laughs> devoted my life to how to best um, help people contribute in in their workday. And um, so that's been my career. Uh, I was always in senior leadership roles, anywhere from general management to a head of HR for many years. About six years ago, I went out on my own. Um, I think, by the way, I think it's closer to seven by now. And all that really changed is I do the same work in multiple places. So it, um, it actually really sped up how much I learn and how I help organizations learn from each other. And uh, but I still mostly focus in the area of how um, HR can really be a major, uh, make a big difference in how successful that work can be.
1: Well, thank you again so much for joining us, Cheryl. A, a few weeks back, we had uh, Peter Hines on um, to talk a little bit about the 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 people value stream. And, you know, he during that conversation, he gave us a, you know, his view on the history of HR and how it has evolved. And he said that you might have a, a different take. But so, you know, I'd love to get uh, your take on just how HR has evolved um, you know, over the years and, and what kind of uh, you see its role uh, t- in today's world, especially around continuous improvement.
2: Yes, um, it certainly has evolved. I mean, I know at at some point in my life, I decided to to truly focus most of my attention in this area because in so many organizations that were doing lean or continuous improvement, whatever they call operational excellence, HR wasn't involved. Um, They didn't see their role. It, it It wasn't obvious to them. Sometimes, especially if it was like, well, it's something they're doing in the operation or it was associated with it's about doing things like more efficiently. So it wasn't obvious to most HR people, why would that have required their involvement? As it became also clear, it was cultural. It still wasn't obvious to them. So I think for, in a lot of companies who have pursued these strategies, many of them have asked me, how do I get my HR people involved? How do, how do we make it more clear to them what their role could be or should be? So sometimes it's like two ships missing in the night, like either the HR People don't aren't clear how they could um, help the cultural piece and the skills and the leadership skills develop. Um, or the leadership team isn't clear what to ask of them. So then I have some HR people going like, I think we should be really involved, except it isn't clear to other people that they should be involved. However, in the end, I think these are mostly a people development issue. I think in general, continuous improvement is completely about skill development and skill application Um, leading differently, people working differently. I don't know how you can really get there without HR being a central component. I think what's changing is also realizing that in the work that I've been doing with Peter is that you're not going to be able to control it. Like you can't do things and engage your people or empower them per se. Like you, you don't have as much control as you ever think you do. It's how do you create environments that foster things or enhance things or invite things? So how would HR work by pull rather than push is the way I think about it. So instead of we put everyone through training, how do we create learning that's available when they're ready to learn, I think is an example of that. So that's the more latest evolution. Um, And the last part of that that I am like crazy excited about is actually part of what we're calling lean um, agile HR I don't know if I would make them quite the same topic, but the whole idea of getting closer to the employee experience, knowing, taking what we know about design thinking and customer experience and customer journey and applying that to the field of HR, I think will also um, in some ways um, revolutionize or certainly help it evolve into a much stronger component of successful um, experiences for the team members.
0: Yeah, I saw you had written a book called Lean Human Resources and tell us a little bit about that. Is that actually applying lean principles to the onboarding process or to the entire HR department or or what? Tell me what a lean HR department would look like.
2: Yeah, that's that's a great question. Generally speaking, the field of lean HR has really only a small component that is about applying the principles to the actual HR department or HR processes. I always think of it, it's actually a great place for the HR team to build their skills so that they're more clear how to um, help enable it in the rest of the organization. So I, I always have seen a lot of HR groups do well to be at the forefront of practicing it, but in the end, You're really looking at needing to help uh, that whole set of how work is defined. Like a lot of organizations, let's say we're going to do problem solving, except it isn't clear when and how people do problem solving. It's not built into the work. So, HR has a big role with helping to define how work is structured. It's a partnership, but they need to be able to partner with what kind of leadership is needed, what kind of leadership development is needed. is the training being applied properly? Are, are the pay systems recognizing this um, additional skill set? It affects everything in HR, so they can't actually show up for that if they don't know what it is. Hopefully, does that answer your question? It,
0: it, it does, and I, I was just curious. You know, we we talk about Toyota a, a ton on this podcast, and my uh, my question is you know, does Toyota's HR department, are, are they what you would consider a lean HR department? Do they do they incorporate all these things that you talk about?
2: That's, I love that question. I think actually where I've come to is, I don't think what we call HR work per se, in some ways, belongs in a department. In Toyota, yes, they have an HR department, but they also have put much of what we call HR into the workplace itself. And even in the last several years, My point is, like, how do we take what might have been assigned to a department and literally just build it into the to the flow of work? Like leaders need to be great leaders, not a small department is in charge of helping employee relations. So actually Toyota's an example of a lot of great people practices are prevalent well outside of H.R., Um, That leadership development and all of that is much broader. It it isn't like it's just coming from one group. So I think it's an example. Yes, it has a highly evolved HR department, but they have a very evolved sense of how HR topics are owned by everyone. Certainly, especially in a leadership role like that's a much broader foundation.
1: Yeah. So when when Peter was on, we we talked a little bit about how um, the people value stream. Um, was mapped out at Toyota. So, for instance, they would, you know, when somebody was hired on, they would have a 20-year or something like that plan of how they would progress throughout the organization, Um, you know, and moving laterally and then up, laterally then up, and and getting really uh, different skill sets. What can you tell us about, I guess, how uh, really the the top-tier organizations manage their, you know, not necessarily, I guess, having an HR department, but how do they how do they manage their their employee workforce so that they do progress in a way that is, um, you know, most advantageous you get the most um, you get the the best out of each employee compared to those that uh, are maybe stuck in the traditional models?
2: Yeah, so that's that's, again, a really great question. In general, what I would say is, one, they're getting clarity. So one issue a lot of organizations has faced is there isn't any clarity around how do I go from here to here to here. They also, in general, would have growth paths that have nothing to do with a job opening up. So it's not like, well, we have 20 people and one person's in the people leadership role. So the only path up is I have to get that job. It's much more everybody can grow in the jobs they're in, so they recognize growth paths that aren't a matter of waiting for a job to open. Um, And they do that that by then clarifying what additional contribution am I able to make, either more complex work, scope of my work. Certainly the entire continuous improvement skill set makes anybody more valuable still as they contribute individually. Are they participating in problem-solving teams? Are they... Um, You know, a lot of these are matrix organizations that have both responsibilities in a more silo formation or within a department, as well as they participate either in value streams or customer groups or they own processes or work on process improvement. So they're working both vertically and horizontally.
1: Um, That's really interesting. And and while you were speaking about it, um, I was thinking about how Baptist is is a range. So, you know, we're a large healthcare system, but a lot of our our CEOs will be kind of, uh, you know, we'll start as maybe a COO at a hospital, and then they'll uh, become, they'll move and and be the CEO of maybe a smaller facility and then gradually move around and and, and up. Um, HF and I, you know, we're physicians, and so we spend a lot of time thinking about physician leadership. I would say that, you know, a similar process could be could be made for the clinical side and physician leaders as well I would say that it's not as well mapped out but um I don't know if you've had any experience with with that at other organizations where you know physician leaders can be grown in that same sort of way um so that they're I guess gaining the skills at the right time uh, and able to move forward any thoughts on, on how that um might be the same or different I so make
2: sure, are you talking about that they're more cross-trained or that they're more used to but that they can work um, in other? I think what you mean is that they're more cross-trained. Is that what you're meaning?
1: I don't I'm not sure what I'm meaning, to be honest. Oh, <laughs> so, I, I
2: would say yeah. a general trend is much yeah. more. When I say cross-trained, what it means is, um, to your point, they've worked in more than one place of the process. If you think of the value stream from one end to another of, of any organization, The more people might have worked in different areas, they truly are more valuable. Traditional hierarchical role defined, the way roles are defined, you might not recognize that these latter, these more well-developed ways of progressing would recognize, yes, I can do this type of work in more than one place. And hence, I am more. Um, not just well-rounded with I can do a specific set of things, but I'm certainly able to contribute to continuous improvement much better because I have a much more thorough understanding of much more aspects of the whole value stream. So it's certainly picking up that, um, which like a lot of times it's like, well, yeah, a a typical job structure wouldn't recognize that as even having a value.
0: Uh, Gotcha. You know, yeah, I was just thinking about about my own my own career you know i was a clinician for 23 years and in the last two of those years i was a a part-time cmo and now i'm a, i'm a chief medical officer of a, a much larger hospital and and i have some clinical departments that report to me now and you know that that's a lot of experience i guess jake I, I'm, I'm kind of being cross-trained because I'm seeing, I'm seeing side, you know, I've I've been in the clinical side of actually providing the care as a physician, but now I'm I'm learning, you know, some more of those managerial skills in areas that I I didn't have any experience at at all.
1: Yeah, and and now we're gonna have to bring you over to be the, a part-time CMIO for a little <laughs> bit so you understand this part <laughs> of the job. Yeah, I'm I'm just I'm
0: still learning how to uh, figure out Excel. <laughs> so you know, no, I'm kidding.
1: Um Cheryl, it, it's hard to talk about you know, HR, I guess, and, and continuous improvement at this time without thinking about how the pandemic has affected it. Um so we've had a a massive change with a lot of people going remote, even even in healthcare. Um how does you know, how have you seen kind of the um, uh, the business of HR and, and continuous improvement changed and adapted? And uh, what ways has that been good and what ways um, has it been bad as far as, you know, the, this people value stream?
2: Well, the main thing, by the way, about the people value stream that isn't obvious at first. I mean, when I first got involved in working with Peter in this people value stream, even I approached it as it was the what I would have thought as the people processes. Like, how do we hire people or how do we train people or how do we develop people? And again, that's very much from a company point of view. And how this links into the pandemic is what happened for most of us is our lives had such a sudden change. We just weren't out as much. Um, So even if you went to work, you weren't out in restaurants and you weren't traveling. And all that home time shifted a lot of people's perspectives about what mattered and what was important and what worked for them and what didn't work for them. The thing about the people value streams is it's very much rooted in optimizing how a person's experiencing their work and their work life and everything it's from what has meaning to them and so the pandemic has almost come up with a crisis of saying to organizations you need to get closer to what they the your people want and need in their lives they're not just like they're not just employees like they're two-dimensional they're not dolls they're These are people with their own hearts and minds and interests and passions, which the pandemic gave them all the much more time. I mean, I don't know about you before the pandemic, I couldn't cook at all. I know. I'm like, I make the best short ribs of all time. I'm telling you, I could open a restaurant now.
1: I need your restaurant.
2: Yeah. So a lot of them found they had interest, talents. They wouldn't give up as much time with their families. So the people value streams is partly about, how can an organization optimize how a person's sense of, of meaning in their lives, whether that be something they do in their work or in general, how do we help release that and tap into that and support that? Because the better the person is flourishing, the more they contribute naturally anyway. But what the pandemic is saying with the you know the mass resignation is, and if you don't do that, If you stay like your head's in the sand and we don't pay attention to what people really want and need, they will just vote with their feet. They'll just go do something else. They're just more prepared to make other choices. So the work of the people value streams is really how do we have a much more in-depth understanding about how people function and what they need and work more closely to that to better optimize the workplace for everybody's benefit for them as people and to the whatever the goals of the organization are
1: and go ahead. Chad. I was just going to follow up question related to that is, you know, you know, obviously there's been a lot more Zoom meetings. We're doing this via teams. Um, a lot of a lot of employees are, are remote. Um, a lot of companies are grappling with whether they're going to require um, employees to come back or, or continue in a hybrid or full time remote model. Um, how. How does, you know, I guess, as an employer, how should we think about those decisions and how? Because um, obviously, it's very, it's harder to engage with somebody that is completely remote that you don't see on a day-to-day basis, um, and maybe you you can't understand their their needs quite as well. Um, but at the same time, people value the ability to work at home um, and spend more time, you know, with their with their family that way. So, how should employers think about that? Uh, that, that kind of conflicting uh, nature of those issues.
2: Yeah. I mean, my general sense would be to one, these are relationships, right? Between an employer and, and their people. So make them conversations, whatever those choices are, don't make them in a vacuum. Don't make them all people would respond better to being more, more discussion. Listen more carefully to what works for me. If there is a change that needs to be made, let's talk that through. What does it mean? How would it work? um i I just think things like uh starting next week we'll all start being at work five days a week or three days a week, or that's what's not working well, whereas if there's discussion and there's a sense of yes, the organization has needs, we have more need to have us together. mostly what I'm seeing is they're coming up with new creative approaches uh one group yesterday said we're all going to be here on Fridays and you're and we're in the office um you know usually two Mondays a month and We've decided that the times we're together on these times and in between you can work more from home than you used to. And that was with people saying, I'm not coming back there five days a week at this point. I mean it's like either they were gonna lose their team or work it out.
0: Yeah, I, I was I was gonna say, you know, we we've we've seen a and we're gonna look back and say this was a huge paradigm shift in the in the way, way we do things because so many so many folks were at home uh during the pandemic you know things didn't come to a complete screeching halt and 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 people figured out hey this we we can make this work and like you said there are going to be peop- people who are going to say well if you're not going to allow me to be a little bit flexible in my schedule and, and working from home i'm i'm going to i'm going to find somebody who will so I, I think the the more we can be proactive with uh, coming up with creative ways to to, to keep those people, uh, the better we're gonna be.
2: Yeah, and some of them are changing more slowly, like maybe at some point they'd be more comfortable being at work more of the time, they're just not turning that dial in one fell swoop, like from not at all to 100%, they're just moving it over time. And to your point, I think they did flexibility um, and it's a relationship, so it is about listening.
1: And, and then, you know, things have changed or have changed really quickly, even in our industry, where you used to hire almost all, I mean, most of your employees were local, and now you're competing nationally with most other people. So, um, the I guess the importance of really understanding the, the needs of the, an employee and helping them through this process is even more important, would you say?
2: Yeah, I would say, um, I mean, to your point, it's things are just flexible that weren't. I mean, in one way, when you work more virtually, you could have meetings. I mean, it used to be, yes, you could have always done a conference call, but you wouldn't have very easily. And now we also found working virtually has benefits. Some way, I mean, you could see, I mean, you guys have a system. I mean, you could have someone from every system uh, have a meeting and discuss something and collaborate even and work on something where before, if you travel, it takes so much more time and energy. So I think it's flexing more, but they're also experimenting with what could you do virtually that we didn't used to do? How do we optimize that as well as think differently about when we're together? What's what's the part that happens when we're together that won't happen virtually? And it's certainly changing the landscape um, about how what it, what employment looks like and what options are out here.
1: So let's go back and talk a little bit more about uh, – you mentioned HR was it, – it organizations that, that are doing it well. It, it is a department, but also some of those responsibilities have gone out into the individual management teams. Um, can you talk about what particular functions those management teams are, are taking over from HR and the importance of each one?
2: Yeah, well, the first one is probably just great relations with their teams. So um, over my career, I kept seeing that sometimes the role of HR was to simply be the better listener, the one taking more time to work on the relationship or something. It was like, well, if you need help, go see them. And I think it's just been one. um, You want to optimize the actual people, the literally communication skills and relationship skills of all the leadership team. Um, It just generally should not have been ever something that was like um, exported out, Um, certainly uh, making it more clear, more part of their development. I mean, again, most organizations, if you said how good are a lot of the leaders at feedback or development and career planning? Now, it wasn't their fault. I don't think they were bad leaders. They just weren't equipped. Um, but the HR departments weren't either. There's, you know, again, a relatively small group of people. How are they supporting all that career planning or developmental discussion? Um, and the continuous improvement environments really like that's um, it's all about development. So how could you not be having the conversation? So it's moving out development and. Um, you know, the whole coaching relationship, it's all about developing stronger relationships and from there. Um, Does that make sense? What what what's moving
0: out? Absolutely. And and it it, it makes perfect sense. And I was just thinking if if we as leaders, managers and directors out there in the wards on the shop floor or wherever, if we if we were doing a better job doing those things, we certainly would make H.R.'s job a whole a whole heck of a lot uh, easier for sure. Because like you said, it used to be, hey, you, you. you got a, a people problem, go talk to h r about it
2: yeah it, it never worked well, and it's best. it never worked well. Um, Most of you think of like if you think of that for every time they probably end up in the h r department, it's just the root cause of it you You should just fix the root cause of that, which was whatever conversation needed to happen with the leader. Um, but as I said, I don't think the leaders have generally been given enough skill development. I, th- I think it's, you just need to take whatever investment of time and resources you put, put it into the leadership having the skills. I, I don't think there's, I think it takes quite a bit to build those skill sets with them.
0: Sure. It's, yeah, and they're learned skills. We, here at MAPNUS, we um, we use TWI, and particularly we use JR. And we highly, highly recommend that all of our our managers and directors and anybody of for that matter, anybody that wants to take the, take the JR course because it it's it it teaches you a way to handle those those people situations that are going to come up every day.
2: I love that example because first time I ever saw JR and I was learning it, I stopped and I said, "Well, that's just HR work. <laughs> oh, that." And then I thought to myself, "Well, wonder if every single leader had that skill set." I'm like, "That's it. That's why it's a good thing. You want to have as many people as possible with that skill set."
1: And so if, if we move some of these functions that, that you know, seem obvious that they should be part of the, the leader and the manager's skill set um, and not something you outsource to HR, if we, if we move that back into the right place, then what is the function of HR? Is it leading and developing those sessions uh, of skill sets for those leaders? Or, or what do you see the, the modern HR department doing?
2: Well, that's a loaded question. I'm almost <laughs> like, you know, the truth is, you should be all working yourself out of a job. Um, I mean, let's say employee relations. There's going to be some category of issue that, yep, you're going to want. I would go get the expert, by the way. There's going to be those times like, no, nope, this is not where you practice. Yeah. Um, I, in the end, but if, if I think if more often they were really working on how can I um, keep infusing the skill sets in. I mean, um, how can I continue to be less needed? Um is still, I think, the better, is still the better route. Um, this whole field of employee experience that I was talking about um, and designing employee experience and learning, I'm seeing some great HR work that would not do well to transfer over um, in designing better employee experiences. Um, I think that would be an area by the way, the newest trend in, in some of the HR titles is to be an experienced designer. Um, I looked up the other day, what are the current trends in HR titles? That's some of the newer ones coming up. And that's great work. So you would just be like designing the best onboarding experience you can create. So that would be like, to me, a great use of, of best learning experiences. So if we if we supply different ways of doing training, how could we design the best experience for them?
0: And and I also would think is, is you know, developing and defining those those potential career paths, you know, when you're bringing somebody on, let's say you're hiring a, just say a respiratory therapist. And let's say you have a respiratory therapist that, you know, you see a lot of potential in them and and, and maybe being able to show them this is actually where you could be you know, in 10 years or 15 years or 20 years with this organization. I don't don't know. I think that would be that would be pretty cool if you could had something that you could show them. Mm -hmm. I don't know.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And so that's why if, if HR didn't know much, especially if you built the continuous improvement skill sets into there, like how that person might participate differently in the organization and help um, improve, let's say, how patient care is given and those kinds of things, HR could help figure out. I always think the role of HR partly is to enrich, like almost enlarge the jobs um, to reflect that broader scope of bringing your talents into your work. And so they need more background to be able to figure out how. Does that make sense? I always think it's like, yeah, it's a place to enlarge the roles, enhance them in some way.
1: And so uh, I wanted to ask one last question before we we wrap up. Um, you talked about HR, you know, one of the trends is being moving to chief experience um, you know, officer or something like that. But how do you measure that experience and know that things are getting better as far as your employees? Um, you know, most we've talked before on the on the platform about uh, surveys and some of the limitations of surveys. Uh, What is the current trend right now as far as gaining a realistic um, understanding of that?
2: Boy, that's not an easy question. Um,
0: You picked a great one to end on, Jay.
2: I think, I mean, the way I think of it, it's really more touch points. It's like I think of it, a pulse survey would almost be more than I mean. Like, it's really more quick, little. Um, Points about how people whether if you think of the, the times when they'll have the smiley faces up or down or something, but it's attaching a much quicker sense of whether something how someone feels about something at the right indication. So if you're building a better onboarding, how can I have multiple points in that process that we're checking how your, how well your needs are being met? And using that data to tell us when we didn't have the right, we could improve whether we had the right thing happening at the right time. So creating those survey points is like multiple data points. We need it to be simple and easy, and help us guide an improved process by using those pulse points. Just Hopefully, that makes some sense.
1: No, you know it makes sense because you know most of the t- most of the feedback you get from those surveys that's that you that can actually use is all in the comments. It's not necessarily in in the scores. And that's kind of how you understand is getting that narrative and having those touch points would kind of replace that.
0: Right,
2: right, exactly. Um, And actually the newest thing in software is uh, there's software that is capturing, uh, literally making more automated. And let's say in learning systems, how do we automate people's like they're telling us when they're getting the right information in the right way. And so then it's automating that process of capturing that input and then guiding you to improve their learning experience so it's even faster if you do it through automation
0: well cheryl this has been a great conversation and and we uh we greatly appreciate you uh taking time out of your your busy schedule to uh to come talk with us for for our listeners if you want more information you can find uh, a lot of information at, at uh, her website it's lean leadership center for folks interested in hr their her book is available on amazon it's called lean human resources and for our our healthcare folks out there you can you can look at the show notes uh this this is uh, eligible for cme and there will be instructions on how you can claim claim those cme credits and Hope you
2: guys will join us uh, next time.